Well, uh, good morning, guys. If, if, I've, uh, if I've not met you, my name is Brandon. If you're wondering who the giraffe is up front uh, talking to you. Um, so, yeah, Matt, well, let me introduce myself a little bit further. So I serve as young adult and college minister. Uh, so I'm helping Matt primarily. I'm his mini-me. They hate it when I say that, but I am. Uh, I, I'm helping develop 20-somethings in college ministry. So, uh, and because of that, I think long and hard about the Trinity because uh, I'm talking with uh, people. I, I enjoy talking with people on the fringes of Christianity and who uh, are atheists and agnostics. I actually used to work at the Apple Store, so that exposed me to a lot of uh, diverse thinking. That was while I was at Beeson. Uh, so that was a really good, uh, you know, juxtaposition with my theological training and being in this really different, diverse environment, uh, all sorts of religious spiritualities, all, all, all sorts of religious convictions. Uh, so it made me really reflect on God according to the gospel uh, and what distinguishes the Christian God from a lot of God talk out there. So, so that's me, and, uh, and let's get started. So I want to try to get out what I want to say in 20 minutes. I've, we're starting late, so let's see how we, how we do. So Matt has asked me to speak on, <clears throat> on modern-day heresy and the nature of God. And so, like I said, there's a lot of God talk out there. Um, there's God talk in our churches, in our schools, in podcasts, in magazines, in books. Uh, even if you look on a dollar bill, it says, in God we trust. So there's a lot of God religious talk out there. But we have to ask ourselves, which God are we talking about? Uh, and we really need to ask ourselves as Christians, can we say that this God that is being described out in the general world is actually the God of the Bible, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? So I'll just ask us, when we at the Advent talk about grace, talk about the gospel, which is a good thing, is the Trinity in our gospel? Or is it just something for advanced Christians? Here at the Advent, um, we like to talk a lot about grace and forgiveness and healing, but we don't easily like to let on that the, that the God we're talking about is a triune God. We can talk all day about the Bible and about forgiveness and about the gospel and about Jesus, and yet we can give very little attention to the gospel's God. So let me repeat that. We can give very little attention to the gospel's God. And the gospel's God looks very different from the God of American religion. So the Trinity in church circles often gets treated as if that's sort of like, you know, class 201, the advanced level of Christianity, right? It's the sort of special kind of knowledge for the advanced Christian um, that you advance to. Um, and the Trinity really shouldn't be a problem for us as Protestants. Um, the Reformers, Luther and Calvin, were thoroughly Trinitarian. But it could easily be a problem for us, I think, because the Reformation doctrines, justification by grace alone through faith alone, um, that's what they were arguing for. They were arguing for salvation, for soteriology. And the doctrine of God wasn't at the forefront of their arguments. So it's easy for us as Protestants to stress justification and to leave behind the gospel's God. 
Um, and if you're the kind of person that uh, doesn't really consider yourself Protestant, might consider yourself more Catholic, um, well, I don't think you're off the hook either because um, all sort of all forms of pop Christianity in America, whether more Catholic, Protestant, or anywhere in between on the fringes, all have sort of left behind the Trinity. And I don't think it's a mistake that atheism has grown as the Trinity has declined. Um, so we can wax eloquent, wax lyrical about all these other sort of doctrines, but we can easily leave behind the gospel's God. Now, um, let's demystify this. If you are a Christian, if you trust in Jesus, you already are Trinitarian, right? You, don't, you may not be able to elaborate all the theological doctrines. You may not be able to quote Augustine and what he said about it and uh, Luther and Calvin and Gregory of Nyssa. You may not be able to do all that, but um, you already are living into the triune life. If you already trust in Jesus and if you pray, Our Father, you already are living in the Trinitarian reality of salvation. Um, you already are Trinitarian. Um, so the easiest way I know how to sort of progress into this is to think about it in two, two ways. So um, we need to recover the Trinity for two primary reasons. That's how we're going to think about it. So number one, um, knowing God. Knowing God uh, the gospel is good news because it reveals God to us. God reveals himself in the gospel. Uh, so here I've put up a picture of, uh, of a feudal lord. And I think it's all too easy for us, um, you know, as we're talking about God, to sort of treat him like he's on the throne, like he's one solitary individual that we're sort of... Um, you know, kneeling before this one solitary, uh, high and lifted up, one God, right? Um, and this is the way a lot of people talk about him, whether atheist, agnostic, uh, even Christian, sadly. Uh, you know, and it reminds me, I was talking with uh, some atheist high schoolers about a year ago, and I asked one atheist to describe the God he would not believe in, and he said to me he would not believe in the puppet master in the sky, right? So he sort of has this kind of theological conviction. And sadly, all too often, we as Christians fuel that because we continue to talk about God as if he's the puppet master, high on the throne, uh, remote, the one solitary individual. Uh, and we have to ask ourselves, when the atheist is... Uh, pushing against the, the, the puppet master, all-powerful dictator, the ruler. Um, is that God worth defending? Um, is that the God according to the gospel? And I wonder if a lot of, uh, of us have this view of God hanging around. Um, but that God actually looks a whole lot more like an evil demon than he does the God, than, than is the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If God is not the triune God of love, if the Father has not always been loving his Son with the joy of the Holy Spirit, then I have to say I agree with the atheist. We need to get rid of that God. He is not worth defending. 
And so again, I want to repeat, we are feeding the atheist when we talk about God in this way. Um, So I've written here um, just a few kind of common things. If I were to ask you to define God, we might say love, just, righteous, holy, sovereign. Um, But which God is love? If we're talking about this God who is solitary, who is a solitary individual, who is a puppet master in the sky, well, he might extend love, but he actually needs someone. He needs us. He needs us, the creation, because this God, who is a solitary individual, has not always from eternity been loving. See how different the triune God is? If there are three persons united in love, the Father has always been loving the Son with the joy of the Holy Spirit. If this God is the, um, you know, righteous, holy sovereign, uh, well, he could easily be uh, an all-powerful, evil ruler, right? But we're actually saying in the Christian in the Christian confession is that it's the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons united in love. They are a community of love. And His justice, God's justice, His righteousness, His holiness, His sovereignty, is all defined by this community of love between three persons. There is something really radical that we as Christians confess, that God That the deepest reality is love. Father has always been loving the Son in the joy of the Holy Spirit. And yet, whether it be this kind of God that we think of, or if we even want to sort of put... So, I guess Christians, most Christians recognize that we're Trinitarian, and we have to talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But I think what we kind of think of is that we'll... Um, will put the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit on an already existing solitary God. And we don't really let our God talk be characterized by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Basically, we think there is the one solitary individual God before there is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Um, We don't let... uh, We don't recognize that God in and of himself is love, is three persons who has always been delighting, that the Father has always been delighting and sharing his love. Um, We think of sort of, um, I I think this is why we can easily sort of skip around the cross, because we want to always talk about the God um, behind the gospel, so that there's a God somewhere remote up here, and we, we, can't, we, we don't let the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit figure into our thinking about God. Um, and so we easily feed, again, the atheist and the agnostic talk. Um, so I just want us to see that it's not this. It's actually this. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together. They are the community of love. It's not that there's a God behind the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not that there's a God who is a sovereign, solitary individual. It is these three persons together who are sovereign, who are righteous, who are holy. God's holiness is seen most clearly 
in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, so, I have ten minutes. I wanted to just put this up here. So, there, you've probably seen this if you're around the Advent. Um, Christian Smith, a sociologist, interviewed several, um, several teenagers, I think a thousand. And uh, they were from Christian circles, uh, Protestant, Catholic, even Jewish circles. Uh, and he summarized this as kind of the basic religious position of teenagers. So without going through in detail, I highlighted when it talks about God. So, so their beliefs basically are, a God exists who created and ordered the world. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible. Uh, the central goal of life is for me to be happy. So number four we go, God does not need to be particularly involved in my life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. Um, so he defined this as moralistic therapeutic deism. Deism is basically the uh, enlightenment view of God that says God is remote. He sort of, the, the stereotype is he's the clockmaker, the watchmaker. He, he makes the clock, winds it up, and lets it go. He's not involved. Um, so I want you to see here that most teenagers, when they're talking about uh, religion and they think Christianity is this, the God they're describing is actually the God of deism. And it's easy for this, to, um, for this God to be talked about and for salvation to become teaching and to become therapeutic and moralistic because we've not let the God of the gospel uh, discipline our thinking, right? This God is the remote God. He is not the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, he is the God who is here to be a teacher. He's here to give us morals. Uh, he's here to give us therapy. But we cannot say that this God is love, right? Because this God is the solitary individual. He is not the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The God who is three persons united in love. Um, now, when I also talk to, since I'm young adult and college minister, and I've begun talking to 20-somethings who are kind of spiritual but not religious, I get a lot of this kind of talk. Um, you know, one might say, I can call God Buddha, I can call him Father, you can call him Mother, you can call him Vishnu, Divine Spirit, whatever you want to call him. Because basically, just to put it quickly, I think what people have in mind again is, remember that feudal lord? Uh, they have the feudal lord sitting up in heaven, and that feudal lord is ultimately unknowable. So that means that I and you, we can call this unknowable feudal lord whatever we want to call him. Um, and this is basically sort of feeding into the growth of agnosticism in our day. So basically... This solitary, individual, deist sort of God who sits up on his throne, who is unknowable, doesn't actually descend to us in love. We actually have to climb to him and we can call him whatever we want. And again, I want to say, notice that when you're talking to people, it is not the triune God, not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
Not the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who descends into history. Um, It's the God that we have to reach. You can call him whatever you want because he's the unknowable, feudal Lord in the sky. Um, John Calvin, who's helped me a lot here, um, uh, he said this. uh, Well, let's skip down to here. He says, God, uh, as to offer himself to be contemplated clearly in three persons, unless we grasp the Trinity, only the bare and empty name of God flits about in our brains. And that's exactly what's happening in our day. Only the bare and empty, uh, empty name is sort of flitting about in our minds. Um, so, uh, now, I've not quoted the Bible, and if you're thinking, well, that's all fine and good, but where is that in the Bible? Um, I have lots of quotes, but since I have four minutes, um, let me just say this. Uh, in Jesus' famous high priestly prayer in John 17, uh, we overhear Jesus' conversation with his father. Verse 1 of John 17, Jesus calls on him as father. Father, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Notice already in the prayer between Jesus and his father, there's a sort of Trinitarian. Notice we're seeing the two persons at work, at con- conversing with one another. Um, uh, when Paul is unpacking the gospel to the Ephesian church in chapter 2, in chapter 2, verse 14 He's basically talking about how uh, the distinction between Jews and Gentiles in Jesus Christ has been erased. And so he says this, uh, For Jesus Christ himself is our peace. He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Um, Skipping down, uh, Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Listen, for through him... We both have access in one spirit to the Father. Paul, when he's talking about the gospel, just takes it for granted that the God of the gospel is triune. He just unpacks the gospel for the Ephesians and says, this new reality that has erased the distinction between Jews and Gentiles, this new reality means that you together as a church are together in the spirit and you have access to the Father in Jesus Christ. So notice the Trinitarian reality. And I would just challenge you to reflect on, um, compare Genesis 1 with John 1. There you have, at the creation, God speaking and the Spirit hovering. And then again in John, you have John wanting us to realize that the eternal word was there at creation. You have the Father speaking and the Holy Spirit hovering. And John's whole gospel Just read it through. Notice how much the Trinity is at play in the Gospel of John. Um, So in in like one minute, I just want to summarize, and then I want to open it up to questions. Um, Well, number two, the the second point I guess I wanted to say is, um, not only does this affect our worshiping life uh, because we recognize that the Gospel reveals the triune God, but it also impacts the gospel we proclaim. I I want us to just ask ourselves, if we were to take the Trinity away, 
would that adjust the way we worship? Would it alter the way we worship? Would it alter the gospel we proclaim to people? Um, Would it alter the gospel you believe? Let me be clear. If the gospel is not structured by the Trinity, that gospel is not Christian. Because the gospel you proclaim is not uh, the gospel who makes the gospel's God known. Because the gospel's God is three persons united in love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If we let our gospel um, be anything else, it really devolves quickly into therapy. Um, Remember the moralistic therapeutic deism? No wonder that most teenagers, um, they sort of hold a therapeutic view of Christianity. Uh, But this is not the gospel, because the gospel makes God known. Uh, And God makes himself known as the God who is love in and of himself. Uh, The grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that the gospel brings us uh, is inherently tied to this God. No other God will do. Uh, Because this God shares his love. The God we confess is the one who is in his creation and in his redemption shares his love with us. Um, So I tried to skip through 20 minutes of that on the fly. uh, Because I wanted to leave about 9 to 10 minutes for you to ask questions. And if you don't have questions, I want to play a video. So questions, I know that might have been heady. Um. Uh, any thoughts? It really helped me with the first time I read John, read there and studied it, was uh, to see that there are three different uh, actors. Three, yeah, actors. When, when Jesus is about to leave and he's in the upper room and he says, I will not leave you as orphans. Right. We will give you the Holy Spirit. I will give you the Holy Spirit. And I just thought, okay, wow, so that's actually something different than Jesus. Right. It's different from God, and it will come to me. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, and there, it's sprinkled all throughout John like that. Um, yeah. And in Genesis, where it says, "In the beginning, God created, oh, He made man in our image." Um, yeah. Why is that? Because the God has been there from the get-go. Right. And it's not the solitary individual God up in the sky. It's the three persons sharing in their love. Is this too simplistic to say, I mean, this is kind of, I can no way ever truly understand the Trinity, but I do think, I mean, I know they're one God, but in a way, don't they have different roles? I mean, God um, is Father, and then he wanted us to know who he was, so he sent a flesh. And then when, and, and that's how we know who God is, because we saw and, and know what Jesus did on the cross because of what the Father allowed him to do and the Holy Spirit as well. And then when he was gone, um, we don't have the tangible body anymore, so it's the Holy Spirit that's in, that enables us to, to feel God's presence and to know he's with us even though Jesus body is not with us. Is that too simplistic? No, I, no, not at all. Um, theologians will often say that, uh, they'll often say the father is the one, he's the origin, the, he's the starting point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like, if you think of it in creation, the father is the one who is speaking. 
the word or the son is the one they'll use the term begetting and no one really knows what that means uh, it's sort of like a mystery uh, but the son is sort of the one embedded in our story and the spirit is the one perfecting right so you do have I mean even if you think of the creation account the spirit is the one hovering over the chaos to bring it to its perfection to its completion and there in John when you have Jesus breathing the spirit he is the one to bring the perfection he is the one to do the completing work right um, so I think you're you're right in heaven before he came was he Yeah, so I guess I guess you would say he is the he is the pre-incarnate Christ. Um, yes. So yes, he is he is not a human uh, because in time he has taken on flesh in the incarnation two thousand years ago. Would you elaborate on what you when you refer to him as three persons? Could you just kind of explain a little more about what you mean or kind of what's behind that word? Yeah, so I, that gets into a lot of sort of philosoph a lot of philosophical ink was um, spilled over that. But basically, the way I think of it is there are actually three actors in the story. Um, there are actually, uh, you know, we could say um, father, son and Holy Spirit. So there are three distinct actors. The Father individually is doing something as one actor. He is not the Son. The Father is not the one who entered into uh, human history and took on flesh. He's not the one who was crucified and resurrected. Uh, that was the Son. The Holy Spirit is a third actor. When we say that there is one God... We don't mean that three equals one. We're not being absurd and illogical. We're saying, it's not numerical oneness. We're saying that there is one God who is three persons, so unified in their activity that the, that the three distinct actors um, together are one God. Uh, so he is one community of love. That's how I like to think of it, so united um, that we can say he is one God. Does that help a little bit? Yeah, definitely. Kind of like mm -hmm. a husband and wife become one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and many have kind of, a lot of theologians in thinking through the Bible have really observed there's probably something to that in us bearing the image of God. Why is there a distinction between male and female? There's a differentiation and yet we're to be one, right? And why does Jesus pray to the Father that they may be one as we are one, right? So there's a distinction, there's some sort of difference, but they together are one, right? Um, any, any other questions? I have, I go ahead. I really quick comment. I was just going to say, I personally struggle in my own faith because I put, I put Jesus <laughs> First, and like if I hear a sermon or something and I don't hear the word Jesus, it's, it's oh, like I'm like, oh, yeah. that wasn't, they were, because mm -hmm. they might be talking about another God or something. Mm -hmm. Anyways, it's, it's good for me to hear things like this because I think that sometimes 
I am robbed of of how awesome God is and the Holy Spirit is, and I need to give credit right. where credit is due. Right. Well, and the question we have to ask ourselves, which I think your your intuition is good, right? If, if you hear a sermon, we should ask ourselves, was that actually Christian? Was Jesus even named? Because where does this triune God make himself known? It is in the Son descending to us, uh, being crucified, being resurrected. Um, that's where he makes himself known. So I think your intuition is right. But, you know, the the question is, who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is the Spirit-anointed Son of the Father. So I was just reading Mark with my small group. Just read the first chapter of Mark, and there at the baptism, when you first have Jesus introduced, you have the Spirit hovering over Jesus, the dove coming down, and you have the Father speaking over him, right? So Jesus' identity is a Trinitarian something, you know? Yes, ma'am. Something that has helped me to feel like uh, I can know God in a closer way because we tend to look at the Father as very remote. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus said, I'm only saying what the Father gives me to say. Right. If you want to know the Father, know the Son. And exactly. Everything you know yeah. about Christ is the same thing knowing the Father. And I had separated that a little bit in my mind for a long time. That helped me right. begin to blend that. It was through the Holy Spirit that drew everyone to Absolutely. <laughs> and, and just to end, because we have to end, right? We, yeah. I need to pray. Okay, so... <coughs> I'll say one last thing I need to pray. But you said oh. you're going to say... Um, if I can recommend a video that I recommend this to everyone, it's only five minutes, and I think it's a fantastic, accessible gospel presentation. So on Vimeo.com, if you type in three, two, one, the story, this one will come up. It's a five-minute video, phenomenal, uh, phenomenal sort of Trinitarian gospel presentation. Um, uh, and and usually I ask if you could. I forgot to say it for myself last time with my lesson. Uh, each lesson I ask the teacher to bring in a book to recommend if you want to explore this topic more. Um, the one I was going to tell you, and I'll, I'll give the title to Fontaine to send out in the weekly email, um, is by Gerald Bray. We sent a link out of one of his talks. He's here in Birmingham. I'm forgetting what the, it's like the 39 articles book. What is the it called? The Faith We Confess. The Faith We Confess. Uh, if you want to know, The Faith We Confess about the 39 articles of religion, since I brought that up last time as central to Anglicanism, and I'll keep bringing it up. By the way, if you have the handout I gave, especially when I'm teaching, if you can bring it back in, because I'll always refer to it. But we'll always have some extra copies. Do you have a book? That, uh, for there are two that I think are phenomenal. Michael Reeves, Delighting in the Trinity, and two, uh, James Torrance's Worship, Community, and the Triune God of Grace. And at the end of this, we'll put together a handout with the sort of bibliography of all these titles. Uh, if afterwards you want to explore any of these things more. Maybe, Fontaine, if you could get the link for this video to send out. Would you send it to her? Um, Do you want to pray for us as we leave? Yes. Father, we, uh, we praise you for making yourself known in Jesus Christ and by your Spirit. We thank you for adopting us as children and uh, lavishing uh, the same love that you have given your Son. Uh, you have shared that love with us. 
Father, I pray now that this identity uh, and good news would shape all of our lives. Lord, in thy mercy, in Christ's name, amen. Amen. So next time, I'll be ta- I think it's me, right? Human nature. I'll be talking about human nature, uh, our salvation with respect to this Trinity God.